The Fitcast Book Club is back. Jill Coleman joins me to talk about The Charisma Myth by Olivia Fox Cabane. And the show is going to be coming back on a more regular basis. The first initial run was incredibly successful. You guys seem to really enjoy it, so I appreciate that. The show itself is going to be spread out a little bit more every three to four weeks. I'm shooting for about three every two months. And that way it's a little bit more manageable and we can kind of spread things out. But if there is just like a situation where there's a new book that comes up and I really want to talk about it, I'm never going to hesitate to do more shows and just give you guys some extra stuff. So just make sure you keep an eye out on that feed in case new episodes just randomly pop up, maybe like a week next to each other, or it could be three to four weeks apart. Just keep a heads up on that. Also, I really appreciate it. If you do enjoy this show, please help support it by going to thickass.network can make a, a one-time or a monthly donation via PayPal. Those are helping me continue to grow the network and make sure that these shows can be coming on a regular basis. So thank you, everyone, that has done that. And please, if you've already thought about doing it and you just haven't made it to the website, please take a second, go over the website. Your donation, your support means so much. So I'm going to stop talking. We're going to get into the episode. Thank you so much again for your patience and welcome to season two of the FitCast Book Club. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Fitcast Book Club. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and we're back for the second season of the Book Club. And I am super happy to have on the show for the Charisma Myth, Jill Coleman. Jill, how are you? Good, good. Thanks so much for having me. It's going to be fun. It, it is going to be fun. And you know, I don't know if we talked about this, but I, I picked you to do this episode because of an Instagram post. I believe it was for like one of the Radiance retreats or something like that, where you... Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be completely wrong, but where you uh, like buy a bunch of uh, copies of this book, and also um, I think it is to to sell as human is another book. Is that correct? Yeah, it's for my best of you mentorship. So oh, the Chris Smith is one of the books. Yeah, um, obstacle is the way. Like a lot. I mean, you know this. I mean, if it's it's business, a lot of it does come down mm. to mindset and confidence and how you project yourself and self belief and all that stuff. So I love the Chris Smith in terms of just. Um, kind of being kind to yourself and also building your confidence and your competency. So yeah, that's one of my favorites. It, it is. It's, it's one of the staples that should probably be in, in everyone's library. And right now, since it's been out for, for a while and it's been very popular, the great thing about books today is that, you know, maybe not so much for the authors, but for us, they're really cheap. Like this book's like $9 on amazon.com. So you can get access to an uh, incredible wealth of information for, for under $10, uh, which is just really unbeatable. But you got to, and I hope this is, this is the, like the second season that I'm doing with this stuff. So I hope people aren't just listening to these shows and just taking what is said on these shows and saying, I don't need to read the book because that's the total wrong way to do this. This is to like jumpstart that thought process and then hopefully convince you to go buy these books because you know, I, I mean, Jill, you have done incredible things in your career and you're continuing to just go like even higher and higher, just uh, like incredible amounts of success. And like I, I see reading all the time. It's like you, it is not a joke where just some of the most successful people out there are the ones that are just constantly reading and not just, you know, going home and watching reruns of Seinfeld or something like that. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard not to sound like just self-righteous when you're like, read instead of watching television. I mean, I think we all need that escapism. So for me, that usually comes in the form of reading fiction as well mm. as nonfiction. But in a way, um, one of the questions I get asked a lot at JillFit is like, how do you come up with, I write so much. There's a, a million blogs on JillFit. I email all the time creating free yeah. courses. You have like and huge <laughs> emails. <laughs> I know. And they're, they're actually way too long. But the, one of the reasons that I do that or one of the ways I stay inspired is by reading. So for I can't speak to other books that you featured, Kevin, but what I can speak to in terms of the Chrismith is um, this is a book that, that I would recommend getting, not only because it's great, but because the majority of the book is at actual activities and tools versus I feel like a lot of other books are more uh, insight-based and they tell a lot of stories and things like that, which are great. And I like those books for listening, maybe um, like Audible, like mm. kind of maybe, you know, but for this book, you guys definitely want to get the hardcover and take notes because there are a lot of different tools and techniques that you can go back to. And um, I was just telling you off air that I had this book. I read it probably the first time, maybe two, two and a half years ago. So going back through it for our notes, I forgot just how chock full of stuff mm. it is. And honestly, as I'm back through it, I'm like, oh, I want to feature this. You know, I'm actually promoting my mindset makeover this week. And I was like, there's so much really cool stuff in here about how to uh, increase your confidence and your competency and stuff like that. That is just uh, so I, I think so many people can get whether you're in business or whether you're just like wanting to build yourself up or get better with your personal relationships. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. So definitely get it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people have talked about, um, you know, the there, there's like a huge library of books where people can just say like these are the the staples of of what you need to read like how to win friends and influence people like I think this is really like the how to win friends and influence people but for you know this kind of generation um, where it's it has a lot more builds off that quite a bit and it's a trifecta book for me I have it on Audible I listened to Audible like like again like you two years ago and then uh, for this I, I reread it going through the the Kindle stuff and I have uh, the hard copy that I highlighted as well um, it's just a really great book and literally I got all those things for like thirty dollars total for three copies of the book which is still you know I would have paid you know hundreds of dollars for the information that's in here because it, it's vital for human communication today. Um, and, and we're going to bounce all over the place because I, I apologize. I have so many notes for this, Jill, that I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really know where to start, but I'm going to try to at least get the, the ball rolling uh, a little bit. And, um, you know, again, I mentioned that it's great for, for, for humans, but with this, it's about um, really making sure that you are a great communicator and you're also... Um, like it's right on the cover of the book, you know, personal magnetism, like being the kind of person that people want to be around and not someone that are like, oh my God, here comes Jill. You remember that conversation last time? I just, oh God, let's see <laughs> if we can, let's make an excuse and kind of go over to this other group instead. Um, but I, I don't know, maybe the best place to kind of start with this is talking about, um, you know, the types of charisma, like you have your uh, or forms of charisma, uh, presence, power and, and warmth. And I guess what we see in a lot of people that are considered, um, you know, successful, but you know, they're kind of the, not like the a-holes, but maybe like the people that you don't necessarily want to be around, they may have like presence and power, but they don't have the, the warmth or you have the people that are shy that may have, uh, you know, they really have the warmth, like they're really good at like, you know, talking to you, but whenever there's like a conflict, like they just kind of aren't very successful with that stuff. Um, so 
I'm kind of curious with with someone that works with so many people and, and helping them with their businesses, Jill. Um, do, do you find there is a certain aspect that that tends to be not necessarily lacking in most people, but needs the the most work that they need help with to to get better? Yeah, that's a great uh, great question to get started with. And you know, I think especially with a personal brand online, I think I I tend to uh, attract kind of the same person. So, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I have best of you, and I work with these girls very closely for eleven months, and most of them are very warm. Mm-hmm. They are very so. Just kind of reiterating what you said, the three different things that kind of make up whether we feel like someone we're speaking to is charismatic or not. A lot of this, I mean, most of this happens subconsciously, by the way. But we're evaluating people on. Um, their power. So how, you know, competent do they come off? How much influence do we think that they have based on what they say, their intelligence, their body language, their clothing, stuff like that. Uh, the second is presence, you know, and that's really about, um, attention and focus. Uh, do you have like a calm kind of poised, uh, kind of peaceful, uh, ability about you? Are you focused on someone? Are you, are you present? And I think we all kind of know what it's like to be talking to someone who isn't present, right? They're like <laughs> yep. looking over your shoulder. They're trying to find someone else to talk to. Um, and it's really distracting. And the third thing is like you said, warmth, which is basically just like kind of goodwill. It's, it's a feeling that you feel like this person actually cares about you. And at Jill Fit, I tend to attract the women who are very, very warm, mm-hmm. uh, very open, very caring. I think because the message is a lot of times very much about vulnerability and I'm very comfortable sharing like my struggles and sharing things that I've struggled with in the past. So I think people feel they're like, there's a lot of relatedness. So the women I work with are very warm, very caring, very open, um, sometimes to the point of detriment because they tend to be people pleasers or they tend to blame themselves if something's not going well. And that can be a huge obstacle when you're trying to build a business. You're always second guessing yourself because you, um, take into consideration what other people think so much versus having that more powerful presence, uh, of that competency. And there's just something irresistible about someone who just knows that they got it. They just know that they can deliver. They know that they are intelligent, that they're an expert in their field, and they are even comfortable faking it till they make it. There's something about uh, the powerful piece um, that I see a lot of people potentially lacking, at least the ones that I see, uh, and trying to work through a lot of that stuff. One of my favorite ways to build competency is to have experiences. Mm -hmm. So throwing yourself into, uh, if you're launching a product or you're um, opening up a coaching program or something like that, even if you're scared, even if you're uncertain and don't know how it's going to go, uh, faking it until you make it, or at least, and at some point you have to make it obviously, but those, uh, having those experiences then shows us a body of work and a show of evidence that we can handle stuff. And the more we kind of see ourselves going through those, uh, going through those experiences and surviving and learning stuff, the more powerful, I think that the more power we, we tend to admit because we are, are now more competent or more confident. So I would say that I see a lot of women with the, the warmth and even the presence, but maybe the power is a little bit, need some work. Yeah, I think, I mean, not, to not kind of go off on a, on a tangent with this, but um, it, it is something that came up in, in the book and it's like with all the, like right now, kind of like the, the big thing and I love seeing it is, is people uh, continuing to, to start like new podcasts and stuff like that. And people are like, well, how did you get to the point where you're like, you know, okay, you know, interviewing <laughs> and, and answer, asking questions? I'm like, hey, go listen to the first 200 episodes of this show. It's terrible. <laughs> like it's not like it's, it's okay, but like it, it took 
took me 10 years to kind of get to being comfortable talking to people and then being able to figure out like, all right, like how do you ask a follow-up question or something like that? How do you just make sure that you're engaged in the conversation and that you're actually in the moment and not just, you know, doing, all right, Jill, what are your three favorite lower body exercises (laughs) uh, on, you know, for Wednesday when you train at 6 a.m.? Like that's not like a a really good way to interview. You kind of have to have a, have a conversation, but um, one of the things that, that I definitely wanted to talk to you about um, because this was a really strong thing that was brought up towards the end of the book and, you know, being in the fitness industry, and I'm sure it's the same, like it's, it is actually the same, like across any kind of industry that you're in, you know, a lot of people can get very far and get very successful uh, on selling with just charisma and without lots of substance. Like we see that, you know, in the fitness field with people who, you know, have, have something that, that comes up that they're, that they're promoting and that it, it's built off of a lot of charisma potentially, but there isn't a lot of, you know, actual substance or there isn't really anything to, to back it up. People kind of get sucked in and that's like any kind of great, uh, you know, someone that's a great salesperson, they get really sucked in on, on what you're selling and they kind of come along for the ride with you. Um, so the author, uh, Olivia, brings up, like, this is a very much, like, charisma can be used for, for good or for evil. Like, with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing. Um, so do, do, you, do you end up bringing this up with the people that, that you're coaching on the business side of, like, you know, making sure that, you know, there is, like, a lot that kind of backs this stuff up and it's not just, you know, being very charismatic. There has to be kind of, like, something there as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and honestly, that's why I liked this book a little bit better than um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, because I think she does a really good job of stating that you have to be in your integrity. Um, Totally. You know, and I think that's why. So it doesn't, I mean, because at first, these kind of techniques, when you're talking about things like body language and, you know, uh, mirroring the person that you're talking to, a lot of these things seem kind of um, contrived. In a way, it feels like marketing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think that Cobain does a really good job of saying, you know what, you need to feel sincerely, you have to actually sincerely listen to the person. You can't pretend you're listening to the person because even that people pick up on. So I mm-hmm. like that she constantly went back to it needs to feel sincere, it needs to feel genuine, and it needs to be in your integrity. Um, so when we're talking about that, and, and of course, you know, I'm teaching my girls how to market. Mm-hmm. So by definition, sometimes marketing is very persuasive. And it was really cool. I was reading through um, and kind of going through my notes. Um, and there's different styles of charisma. I'm sure we'll get into that. But one is uh, visionary charisma. And what that is, is the ability to inspire people that, to feel that they can do it too. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting because that's really what marketing is. It's giving people permission to do something or to uh, go somewhere that they didn't, they weren't planning on going. So it is mm-hmm. persuasive, but you have to be in your integrity. So what would that look like? It would be um, spotlighting what, for example, someone is struggling with. So in the fitness industry, you know, we, we call it pain points or whatever. I kind of hate that phrase, but a pain point is just highlighting what people, you know, people are already struggling with. So in the fitness industry, whether it's weight loss or building muscle or staying consistent on their nutrition or whatever that is, we want to connect with them on that level. So that's where the relatedness piece comes in and the resonance piece comes in and people, um, you know, people buy coaches, not coaching. So they have to feel that level of trust. So we do talk about that struggle. Um, and then we offer the solution. So if you're struggling with nutrition, here's what I think the, uh, here's what I think the solution is. Here's what's work with my clients. And then you have to deliver. 
I think that's what so many people forget is you have to then deliver the goods. You have to be an expert in your field. You have to deliver tremendous value and you have to follow up with your clients. Once you make money or once you get the sale, it doesn't end there. You have to make sure that you're constantly delivering because you want to get people results. Ultimately, if you're not in the business of getting people results, then what are you doing? So I, I think that, Kevin, to your point, I think that works for a little bit of time. Make it, maybe gets the quick sale, but someone who's using something like that that is not backed by expertise, by value, um, by continuous value is not going to be in the game for long. They might make a quick buck, but they're not going to have clients, uh, high trust clients for a long time. Oh yeah. I, I think, um, and this is the, the hardest book. This is the sixth episode that we've done. And this is the hardest book that I've been able <laughs> had to like outline for this show because like we we're talking off air, there's just kind of so much that I would want to hit on, but I'll, what I'll probably do for, for myself and Angel, please do the same as, you know, I'm just going to kind of grab the things that stood out to, to me personally. I'm sure there's going to be some things that, you know, you're going to read in this book and hopefully you do go pick this up and you're going to say, well, why, why didn't Kevin bring this up? Like, this is so vital, you know, for me. Um, but like, like this was kind of like the big thing. And this is something that I think you, you get better at just as you, you get older, but you were mentioning before just, you know, the presence of, of like being in the moment and giving your full attention to, to people is sometimes, uh, it's not necessarily, uh, it's difficult for me sometimes, especially in like a big group environment. Like when you go to one of those, like we have a perform better summit coming up in a couple of days here where, you know, I know there's a social and there, there's going to be a room where with a bunch of people that I do know. And I've sometimes like trouble making sure that I kind of say hi to everyone and like look around the room to make sure I don't like not say hi to someone that walks by because then I don't want to feel like, man, like I, 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 I saw Kevin, he didn't even say hi to me. And I like, I, what, what was up with that? Um, but just like knowing that if you're in a conversation with someone, you kind of need to, you know, stay in that ride and stay on like the roller coaster, wherever it's going to go until that roller coaster comes to an end. That's probably a really bad analogy for it because it's not like, <laughs> it's not like that stressful, but you know what I mean? Like it is a case of making sure that you, you, you are there and not just or someone that is kind of like me, ADD and kind of going all over the place and, wanting to be like the dog that sees a tennis ball go across the room and wanting to chase that tennis ball and just disregard what I was doing before. Um, but, but that was definitely, um, a, a big one for me. And I don't know, Jill, like feel free to like jump in if there's, there's any, any place you want to jump off of this stuff, but I'm just kind of like running through notes and stuff. Yeah, no, it's funny. Uh, you know, I'm like listening to you and I'm like, well, I don't want to interrupt because that was one of the things in the charisma myth. It was like, you know, so, so to your point, um, if we're talking about charismatic listening, like when you listen to someone, how can they feel as if you are truly there with them? Mm. Number one is refraining from interrupting, right? Which is hard for us because many of us, what we're doing is we're listening for when there's a break in the conversation so we can start talking. And that's not attentive listening. Um, the second thing is, you know, making sure that there's a deliberate pause in the conversation before you start speaking. So the person really feels as if you are listening to them and then absorbing what they're saying. So back to your analogy, I think it's a good one because I, I have felt that way too at conferences before, um, particularly the radiance retreat, which is an event that I hold with, um, Nagar Fanuni and Jen Sinclair. And we have about 50 girls show up. Mm. Um, some of them I know, some of them I don't know. And the weekend is crazy or it's packed schedule. Um, and I feel a lot of pressure to make sure that I speak 
to every single person, not exactly. just in passing, not just in passing, but also, but like really ask them about themselves, ask them about their goals, their dreams, what, you know, what they're doing, what they're up to. Um, so here's what I do. Um, and I'm still like tweaking this too, but I always make, so I'm like, okay, I have the whole weekend. My goal is by the end of the weekend to have talked to everybody in a, in a very substantive capacity, not just in like a group capacity. Mm -hmm. So what I do is, um, I will search out the person, people at the event. So we have a lot of social kind of stuff built into the weekend. Um, so for example, if I'm talking to someone and we're in a conversation and out of the corner of my eye, I see someone else I haven't talked to yet. I actually will let them just pass by. And I'll make a mental note. Okay. I need to talk to her at some point this weekend. And I kind of keep up running. Like I have actually a list of like the names of the people. Mm -hmm. Um, we go, we, at the beginning, we have an intro and I, I make some notes about the girls and stuff. So I remember who's who and you know, something about them. So when I talk to them, I can say, Oh my gosh, you're the one who lives in Minneapolis. Do you live in, you know, or whatever. Do you, did you work out at Jen's gym or like there's something there that I can remember about them. Um, so I, instead of, diverting my attention from the person I'm speaking to in that moment and being like, Oh, I meant to talk to you too. I allow them to move past and then make a mental note to go and find them later. So I kind of like have this checklist of people that I'm trying to connect with over the weekend. I do that ahead of time. So I feel very focused in my attention and people feel listened to. So it doesn't always go that well, but if they kind of come into the conversation and you can tell they want to to talk, I will definitely like make eye contact and then kind of go back to the, you know, so that they feel included and then continue talking to the person who I was speaking to previously. It's hard, but at the same time, I think it's important to like, it, it is important to then make a mental note to go back and talk to them separately. And this is, this is weird because one, like I almost interrupted you because this is the problem that I have is that when I get really excited about a conversation, <laughs> Like I want to like be like, yeah, like, yeah, totally. Like that's, and, and at least, um, you know, she brought up one, you know, segment when you're trying to, um, I believe it was when you were trying to relate or when someone's trying to like tell you a story or something like that. And you want to, you know, also, you know, let them know that you may have also experienced something like that or someone that, you know, to, you know, maybe that would be an okay opportunity to be like, oh yeah, like that totally happened to me too. Like, don't worry about that. Like that is, it's not the end of the world. Like I got, you know, I got through it or something like that. But, um, the, the other thing is like, you know, more and more as we talk about it is that it the way that we might be talking about it, it might sound a little bit more like almost robotic. Like we're almost going through a checklist and stuff like that, but you kind of get this stuff in your head and it almost runs like a subsystem. Like it's not always at the front of your mind. It's just something that is always kind of, you know, going. So you don't need to make it sound bad. Like it is uh, a thing that you're trying to do for, for bad, you know, means it is just a case of, yeah, I just want to make sure like I'm I'm doing my best to to have a, a good presence and to make sure everyone that is around like let them know that I'm I see them or I I know uh you know what's up and uh also at the same time like there's God, there's just so much in this book to, to cover, but, um, sorry. I know I think, well, I, I do think it's to your point. I think, um, you know, what you're speaking to before is, um, when you start honing your charisma, people mm -hmm. feel really connected to you, which of course yeah. is the point, right? We want people to feel connected to us, to feel safe with us, to feel like we're listening to them and we care about them. And of course, again, it's not, 
it's not a show. It's not like a facade. Mm -hmm. You need to actually be interested. So what she was saying in the book was sometimes when someone feels really connected to you, they will uh, share, share like a little more than maybe they are comfortable sharing later on. So like maybe it's a little bit TMI or it's a little bit of an overshare that in the moment they're excited to share, but then later on they might feel shame. Like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? I feel so embarrassed that I had said that. So she uses the me too technique, which is when someone's speaking, you can tell that they're getting a little heavy. You want to reassure them that it's okay. And it's a safe space by being, by saying me too. And I love that because to me, that's what connecting with someone is about. Like, especially with online business, people aren't going to connect with someone. They don't feel like they have anything in common with. So as soon as you're like, Oh my God, that's, I, I try to do that all the time. Um, you know, in Jill fit is if someone is sharing something that's really vulnerable, we talk about mindset, we talk about food obsession, we talk about relationships, these very like kind of can be really vulnerable conversations. And I always try and say, you know what, that happened to me too, or I've been there too. And as soon as you have that relatedness, it feels way more safe. And I think that's important. I mean, that's the thing is if you are an expert in your field, I think it's really easy to come off as just perfect or like you just know everything and you're good to go. That's why it's so important. And I'm glad you said that in the book to show your humanity and to be vulnerable too. So a lot of times my girls will ask me, you know, I have a closed group coaching page on Facebook and there's not that much um, conversation. I want to get the girls to open up a little bit more. And I'll say, you know what, you need to share your vulnerabilities first. Mm -hmm. You need to share the things you're struggling with first to create a safe space for people. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I mean, another thing that I wanted to make sure, I can't believe we're already like 25 minutes in on this, but, um, <laughs> I feel like we haven't touched upon it. Well, <laughs> right, right. But I, I think, um, like two things in, in the book that I think we might be able to wrap around. And I know this isn't like the thick ass or anything like that. It's the book club, but whatever. I don't know, you know, network stuff, but the, yeah. um, this, this, this is something that I think people can, you know, if you're, you know, into fitness or you're into, you know, behavior change and things like that. Um, two things that really stood out to me, uh, were, were number one. And, and I feel like this is something that, you know, we've talked about in, in the profession, but I didn't even kind of like see it in this context was, you know, getting comfortable, uh, with discomfort. Um, yeah. and, and this is like a, a big one with, with people that do, uh, need to, to focus on behavior change when it comes to, you know, modification of their, their nutrition habits or, or maybe, you know, going and doing, uh, you know, a harder training sessions and not just kind of, you know, jumping on the elliptical for, for 20 minutes or something like that, like going and, and, you know, lifting, doing some of that might be a little bit, you know, more work, make you a little bit more uncomfortable. But, um, you know, this was something, uh, that I actually grabbed from the book as a, as a quote that might help for, for this situation, uh, focusing on the minute sensations of your physical discomfort serves a dual purpose. Uh, it gives your mind something concrete to focus on other than its growing conviction that this situation is unbearable. It also has the advantage of bringing you instantly into full presence, a key component of charisma. In fact, this technique called, uh, delving into sensations, can help you access uh, charismatic presence even during highly uncomfortable situations. And this is something that, you know, we can use as fitness professionals with people that we've been helping, like even, you know, my, my nutrition coach, uh, Chris Scott Dixon, like, you know, something we've been talking about in terms of like, all right, well, let's just kind of like have some presence. Let's do some mind body scan type stuff. And then let's kind of just see what's going on. Let's do some observation and see exactly you know, what, 
you know, why we feel like we need to go, you know, get ice cream or something like that. Like, why do we feel like we need to do that? And sometimes that distraction alone can be enough to say like, oh yeah, you're right. Like that's a little bit of an irrational thing. Like we don't need to necessarily do that right now. Um, but I, I don't know, like Jill, yeah. is, is this something yeah. that, that, you know, you've been able to like use a lot of, with help with like coaching as well? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I love that you made that point. Um, and I was surprised that she didn't use the word mindfulness more in the book, because to me, that's exactly what it is. And we yeah. teach that at Jill Fit and the nutrition and our nutrition, you know, modules is all about mindfulness. So here, an example that I would use um, in the nutrition education would be something like surfing the disappointment. That's what I use surfing the disappointment. So what does that look like? You're out to dinner. And, um, you know, the waiter comes over and says, you know, would you like some bread? You know, would you like a bread basket or really like bread? And you say, No, I'm okay. And they don't bring it in that moment. You're like, gee, it would be really nice to have bread. Wouldn't it? It would just be like, Ooh, it'd be so calm. It'd be so yummy. It'd be so delicious. And there's like this 30 second disappointment or minute long disappointment that you experience. You're like, Oh, but it would have been so good. But then what happens is you're, you move on and you start talking with the person you're with, or you have, you know, you have a drink or whatever, and you've moved on from it. So it's that surfing of that disappointment. It's a feeling in the moment that like, Ooh, it would be nice to, and then you get over it. And so surfing this appointment to me, it's the same thing as feeling your hunger cues. Um, I'm sure you've heard of eating to 80% fullness, Mm. same exact thing, right? Uh, it is, uh, people, most people eat to hundred percent fullness and then they have to unbutton their pants, right? So stopping at 80% is really hard. So it's that same kind of thing. It's, it's surfing that discomfort. It's surfing the urge to do something else. Um, and getting comfortable with discomfort is not just in nutrition. It is like in life, right? I mean, I think I love that she mentioned that and the people who are the most, um, poised or have the, the tools to be able to feel their physical body, to lean into the, the struggle, to really feel those negative emotions, to sit with the impatience, mm. to sit with the uncertainty, to sit with the pain or the hurt or whatever that is. Um, I think those people become more resilient in a way in life struggles or whatever. And I think that there's so much in, you know, I felt, I felt like for her, what she said was that's really the ultimate, like the ultimate tool of all the tools is learn how to be comfortable with discomfort. Mm. And I don't think that you get that practice without putting yourself in some of those really sticky scenarios or even just recognizing them. I think a lot of people shy away or they, um, deflect or defend or avoid, some really uncomfortable situations or conversations. And I think one of the best ways to become someone who is more emotionally poised or emotional, emotionally comfortable is to have all the uncomfortable stuff happen, have those conversations, be honest, be, um, you know, I just have the mindset makeover on the brain cause that's what I'm launching this week. And a lot of it is about being honest, being authentic, um, showing your true self. And I don't think that you have the confidence to do that until you've had some experiences. Yeah, this is just like all outstanding stuff. Um, and and the the other thing that I was kind of looking at when it may came uh, may come to like us helping other people as fitness professionals was um, you know getting across self compassion uh, as well. Um, That's another quote that I'll I'll steal from the book real quick. Uh, self compassion is feeling that what happened to you is unfortunate. Whereas self-pity is feeling that what happened to you is unfair. In this way, self-pity can lead to resentment or bitterness and to feeling more isolated and alienated. In contrast, self-compassion often leads to increased feeling of correctedness. And this is something for me, like personally and professionally, has been um, really 
powerful. And it, and it kind of also goes along with like, it's weird. Like these things, like a lot of this stuff in this book, like flows together with not just like self-compassion, but like visualization and like also separating yourself from a situation and saying like, all right, if I'm a third, I'm going to, I'm an objective third party. Like how would I look at this situation and view it instead of just thinking, Oh, well, I like, why did they, uh, why did they, um, you know, perceive this this way, or why did they act this way to me? You know, maybe it is something that I just don't uh, necessarily understand what they're they're going through, or something like that. But um, obviously, self compassion might might be something that we, we might deal with for people that you know tend to do kind of the the emotional eating kind of thing, or potentially go down the road like, yeah, like you know, screw this. Like you know, I've had a really bad day. Like this is just the only way I'm going to fix it is if I make like a bad food choice or something like that. Oh, I loved, I absolutely loved it. I'm so glad you brought that part up because, um, I deal with that a lot and I'm sure you do too with the nutrition piece, because, um, I think that people feel as if there is utility to, uh, berating yourself about food choices. So for example, (laughs) feeling guilt, feeling shame, feeling remorse after binging or overindulging, they feel like if they don't feel guilty and remorseful and shameful about their choices, that they'll do it again and worse. Mm. So I deal yeah, with a lot of crap. Yeah. yeah. So I deal with a lot of women who say they really need to feel that they're scared to give up those feelings of guilt mm. and shame and remorse, because if they didn't have them, then they are scared of what that would mean moving forward. And I loved what Cabane said in the book. She said, um, People who are self-compassionate take more responsibility and accountability for their actions because they're not scared of their mistakes. And I loved that so much because what she said was, you know, um, they're less scared of the mistakes, so they're more likely to own their mistakes. Mm -hmm. And to me, things like guilt and shame and remorse and all those kind of things are just a distraction from what you really want to be spending your energy on, which is implementation, uh, responsibility, ownership, getting clinical about your choices and making better ones moving forward. So if you're using all of your brain power to hate yourself and to berate yourself, then you're you're not going to have the brain power necessary to make a better choice moving forward. So I love what she said that people who take responsibility and show themselves compassion and forgive themselves are less scared of their mistakes and more likely to take ownership, which of course, if you take ownership, you're going to do things differently next time, or you're going to do things better next time. So to me, it's, it's the exact opposite of what we tend to think. And I love that so much. It was, I'm glad you brought that part up. It was really impactful for me too. And again, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily going through the uh, chronology of of the book or anything like that, but I think you know maybe one of the the most important things to to hit on are the the different uh, Christmas styles and the the sure. Christmas styles. Uh, of course, uh, our focus uh, visionary uh, kindness charisma authority, um, and you know one of the key points that's brought up is you know making sure that you're you're choosing the right one for for the right situation, or maybe you know there are certain things that are you know, more your strength or works better for, for your personality, um, that will allow you to, uh, kind of perform better in these social interactions that we have as, as humans. So, um, I don't know, like, is there, again, like a business coach, I I wanted to ask you, like, is is there one that you feel like you need to focus a little bit more time on than, than others when it comes to, you know, helping people become really good communicators? You know what? I think all of them are super important. So just for you guys who are listening, uh, the focus charisma is presence plus confidence. So this is someone who is good listener and 
is patient is more likely to feel uh, for you to feel heard. If you're with this person, they're focused on you. They feel like you feel like their attention is really on you. It's really, really powerful. The second is visionary charisma. This mm-hmm. is uh, belief plus cause. We kind of talked about this before. This is the kind of charisma that makes other people feel inspired too. Um, and they, they come across as very, uh, you know, risk averse and I mean, not risk averse, uh, risk aware, and, but also like comfortable with uncertainty and comfortable with risk. So we feel more likely to take a risk too, because we have someone who's like, you can do it too. I've done it. We're all going to do it together. Mm-hmm. The sec- the third is the kindness charisma. Kindness is like a complete acceptance of people. It's very warm. Um, I think kindness charisma is super important. And it's something that when we're trying to project confidence, sometimes we forget to be warm because we feel like if we show that we're too warm, that potentially it undermines our power or it undermines our ability, um, our competency. And so I think warmth is one of the things that probably is forgotten the most, but is also super important when you're trying to connect with a client. So if you are someone who is in internet business or even, I mean, even at the gym, if you're trying to get new clients, uh, people are going to be attracted to someone who makes them feel accepted. Mm. So open-minded, is really important uh, and really kind of having that warm energy. And I think if I, it was funny going through this, I feel like if, if there's one that I really need to work on, it's probably that just feeling, you know, more like warmth and openness. I think I, I am very accepting. I just don't think it projects all the time, um, across social media. And the, the last one is authority charisma. This is someone who has status and confidence. So this is, they are, they're powerful people, you know, their clothing, how others perceive them, their body language. Um, they're not necessarily likable, but people feel like they have the ability to change the world or to change circumstances. I feel like all four of these are actually really important. Um, and they're all like pretty similar. And it was funny, you and I were talking off air, but a lot of the points, Points, uh, the, a lot of types of charisma, a lot of the points in this book were just don't be an asshole. Can I can I cuss on the thing Hell on the show? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a cuss word, but um, yeah. So like, just don't be an asshole. Like honestly, be uh, listen to people, be kind, be warm, be accepting, um, and also be confident. And one of the things that I loved about the authority charisma, this is really important in online business and marketing people follow conviction. So if you show up with the confidence and the conviction, because what do people ultimately want? People want to feel like someone's got their back. People want to feel taken care of. They want to feel like there's a leader. They want to follow a leader. So when you come with uh, and confidence and conviction, conviction is contagious. If you show up with just like this energy of like, we're all going to do it. It's all going to work out. It's going to be amazing. Other people feel that way too. And I feel like for online business, if you're trying to convince someone to do something, you need to come with the confidence and conviction. That's one thing I teach my girls is, you know, that conviction is contagious. So that authority, I think, is something maybe that women especially tend to not lack, but I think there's um, a fear that if I come off with too much authority, there it's too masculine or it's not going to be well received or it's too over the top. I know, like, you know, but I think that that's one of the things that, especially for women, we can continue to, to kind of work on is really owning your shit, like really mm-hmm. just like owning your expertise, owning the fact that you got it, owning the fact that you have an amazing solution and you want and you want people to, to buy it or to join it or whatever it is. Um, you know, so I think the, the women that I've seen do the best in the business world are the ones who do have the confidence and frankly, the audacity to be like, you know what, I'm the shit and I'm going to show you how. And I think that's a learned skill and I think it can be learned, but it is, I think it's a practice for sure. 
Okay, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and then we'll go back. But uh, sure. one, of, one of the things that I wanted to hit on just jumping off of that was um, like receiving compliments, which I am so bad at. Um, you know, especially like this is like the summer where we do all the perform better summits and I'm like, you know, at a booth. So I get, you know, literally, you know, there will be 50 people that will come up over the weekend being like, Oh yeah, I just want to say like, I'll listen to the podcast. I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks for listening. Like, I don't like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard for me to like accept that stuff and be like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Huh? Like, like I don't know how to not sound like, um, like how to not just brush it off. Like, thanks. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't want it yeah. to sound like that, but I also don't want to like indulge myself in it at the same time. Um, you know what I, you know what I think is a great technique. And she mentioned this, not in that section, but I do think it's a great technique that it, to take in a compliment and then also reflect it back to them. So right. for example, yeah. you said like, and that's one thing that I always try and do, especially at industry events when someone comes up to me and they're like, Oh my God, I love your blog or whatever. I'll say, Oh my God, that means so much to me. Thank you. What do you do? Where are you from? What's, do, are you a blogger? Are you, do you do, are you in the fitness industry? I always try to immediately then ask that person about them. Um, because I, I'm like, yes, I, I'm going to take in the compliment. I'm so appreciative, but I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about them. And so I think that was one thing that she said in the book about, you know, how do you, can you transfer the glory or can you transfer, um, you know, maybe reflect it back to them. To me, it's just common sense, right? It's kind of like uh, a friend of mine and I call it the, uh, PFR scale. It's pretend for reciprocity. <laughs> so how, uh, how likely is someone you're talking to likely to ask you about you? I don't know if you've ever been in, in this situation, Kevin, but I have, I'll be talking to someone and I could be anybody. Like they don't ask me one question about what I do, where I'm from, <laughs> what my name is, whatever. I could just literally, they're just literally talking at me. I could be like uh, just a, a wall. It's totally fine. But to me, I, I don't feel like I want to engage with that person because I'm like, wow, they didn't even ask me what I do, but they sat there and talked about themselves and what they did for 15 minutes. It makes me feel really small and really not, um, you know, not appreciated, not seen. So for my friend and I call it the PFR scale, potential for reciprocity. And like, you got to be a seven, at least out of 10 on that. So how mm. likely are you to compliment the person back? Tell them that, you know, you love their bag or you love their shirt or, you know, that's so, that's amazing. But then also ask them about themselves. To me, it's a really, really easy switch. Um, and, and it shows a lot of awareness. Yeah. I was going to, uh, I mean, usually what I do is I say, Oh, that's oh, that's so awesome! Where, where are you coming from? Where do you work? Yeah, like that's exactly. that, that's like the best I I can do because the like I want to not talk about myself for the podcast as as much as possible because it's just it's uncomfortable to do. Um, well, and people probably feel like they know you, right? Like people come up to you and they've been listening to you for years. They know you, and you. Jill, don't they them. got so much dirt on me, and I just <laughs> I don't realize what and it, 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 like it was one of the things I was nodding about in this book is like, yeah, I'm kind of like an open book on the podcast, just with so many different avenues that go down that we go down with all the different guests that come on the show. Like sometimes it just it gets real, and then people bring up stuff that I talked about eight years ago, and yeah. I'm like, how? <laughs> Wait, I I mentioned that on the internet. Like, wow, I, I probably shouldn't have done that, but I'm happy that you remembered. I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So to me, it's like I mean, it's like we don't need to talk about me anymore, right? You already right. know everything. So like, let's talk about you. And to me, and that's the thing. I, I, if I had my drillers, I would rather learn about other people. I love hearing people's stories. Mm. To me, I don't. I know everything about myself. I don't need to talk about myself. Uh, yeah. So to uh, 
God, we're almost at 45 minutes. All right, so we, we might we might go a couple more more minutes. Um, but another big section of the book, and this is kind of me backing up a little bit, was, you know, uh, meeting people like, you know, not only like first impressions, but like these are the kind of things that you're almost like people should kind of know this stuff. And hopefully, you know, the best thing that could possibly happen is that you read this book and be like, I knew all that. I'm already doing all that. Awesome. Then you get confirmation that you're a badass and you're doing things perfectly. Um, but you know, there are some, like some things that people sometimes just need to be reminded of, like making sure you have, you have a good first impression of how important those are. Like yeah. handshakes, like the thing that stood out for me was, uh, that I wrote down was graceful exits, yeah. how to wrap up a conversation. Same. <laughs> Cause like, that's also that, that it's that, you know, social aspect when, you know, you're at an event where you're hosting 50 people, Jill, and you're trying to talk to everyone. How do you make sure that you're not in a two hour conversation with someone when you want to be like, yeah, like it was awesome getting to talk to you for a little bit, but, um, I got, I got to try to talk to these other people because otherwise I'm going to feel like super bad about it. So how do you make, um, a good graceful exit? And I totally copied those down and I made sure I, I thought of them like, you know, mention like uh, an article or a book or a website that they should probably check out. Um, or maybe talk about someone else that they should maybe meet at the, at the party or at the, uh, you know, social event or something like that. Like those are like really they sound simple, but they were really helpful for me a couple of weeks ago when I was like, "Oh, yeah, have you met? Uh, have you met Brendan? Oh, you gotta you gotta go talk to Brendan. Like, make sure you don't t- don't talk to me the whole time. You gotta go talk to Brendan. Like, he is you know the best at what he does or something like that." So, um, no, I think adding value is like uh, tremendous. And you know, it's funny. I I actually thought that was that part in the book was really insightful too because I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have been like. Oh, um, oh, so I'll talk to you later. Okay. Yeah, like how to not be the awkward exit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't know, and it's not even, it's not even someone's fault. It's not like they want to talk to you and you don't want to talk to them. It's just more like, all right, with the conversation is kind of wrapping up Mm -hmm. and I love the idea of giving something valuable. So whether it's an introduction or whether it's a book or an article, giving someone something to do next So in a way they do feel as though they're continuing the conversation with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like I always tell people, you have my email address, right? Send me an email next week and let's, and you know, I always tell people to email me if we've, we're talking about something, send me an email. Cause I I don't know about you, but I like won't, I won't remember. (laughs) Um, so I'll say, send me an email and I'll make sure to get you that contact info or make sure to give you that, a link to that, like uh, that blog or that tutorial you're talking about or whatever it is. Um, so giving people something to do makes them feel as if the conversation is continuing. Mm. And I think that's kind of a really cool way, um, of doing things. And I, that was new to me too. So I'm going to be using that as well. Yeah. I, 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 those are, those are awesome ones. I also use like, Oh yeah. And like, don't forget, I'm going to like be at the booth all day tomorrow. So like, please, if, if you want to like talk some more about this, come down to the booth because you know, I'm going to have a bunch of time. I'd love to talk to you some more about it. Um, yeah, for sure. Just, like little stuff like Absolutely. that. Um, all right, let's see. We're, we're a little bit up against the, the clock, but, um, maybe, maybe a good thing to, to hit on, uh, as well is just kind of like, you know, big picture type stuff. Um, I know there was, there was lots of stuff in the book talking about, you know, people that, that are uh, presenting that are, that are being, um, presenting to not only just like larger audiences, but when you have to just present in front of a group of like eight people, when you're presenting like a new project that you're working on or something like that, like making sure that you are, you know, having uh, good eye contact with everyone in the room, making sure that you uh, are like she brought up continuing to breathe, like, you know, making sure that you're having regular respiratory rhythms and stuff like that is going to be very vital for you to have a, a, a strong presence down to the clothes that you should wear down to, um, 
you know, again, like I said, making eye contact with everyone, putting in, like, I would have never thought about that, putting in pauses and like your, your script of when to pause for one second, pause for two seconds, let like drama come up, making sure like, this is something that we kind of like, most people have picked up from like the Ted talks, but making sure that you're talking almost with stories instead of just like, God, I, I don't need like, I'm sorry. Like I know there's some people that I love, like, but I go to the, some of these summits and like seminars and it's like slide after slide of of friggin' research. Like, (laughs) yo man, like just put it, put it in the like handouts, but let's just talk about the stuff. You don't need to like cite 14 papers to tell me that, you know, I should do this twice a week instead of three times per week. I got yeah. it. Um, no, for sure. I totally get that. And I think um, one of the things that really stuck out was, you know, making it really simple so that like a fifth grader could understand right. it. I think especially as someone who's, if you're presenting, you're so worried about making sure you give enough value and also them seeing you as the expert. Yeah, that you, you tend gotta be smart. To Yeah. So that you tend to stuff your presentation with uh, facts and figures and stats and research when that's not how we learn. Uh, Humans learn through stories and very simple, applicable. And this is something that I've had to get better at, too, because I'll I'll be so worried that people aren't going to feel as if my presentation is valuable, that I will stick so many things in a presentation that either I don't get through them all or there are too many things to remember. So I started really paring everything down. And instead of focusing on information, Mm -hmm. I'm now focusing on implementation. So if I want someone to leave my talk and be able to do one or two things that's really going to move the dial for them, then I have to get more, way more simple. Mm-hmm. I have to get way more clear, way more simple and way more actionable. So to me, stats and figures and uh, research, not actionable. Yes, it justifies what you're saying, but you don't need that much. You need a couple of justifications in the very beginning and then tell me what I can do about it. We don't learn in facts and figures. They've even shown in research that people don't, you know, we need context. So when I tell you a story about when I was dieting for shows and I was binging on the weekend, you're going to remember back to that time that you did that. And you're going to feel we're going to be in that place together. We're going to have that sense of resonance and that sense of relatability so that when I say, here's what I did in that moment, you're thinking back to your moment Hmm. too. And you're going, okay, I could see how you know, one of the things she talks about a lot in the book is, is uh, visualization and rewriting your story. So in a way you're accessing the, the image of yourself in that position, doing what you were doing, could you rewrite that scenario in a different way? And that's very powerful with people. And it's hard because I think a lot of times we have our insecurities about, am I an expert? Uh, am I going to be seen as credible? Mm-hmm. We all kind of have those. And so we want to stuff our presentations or we want to stuff our things with facts and figures and, um, and research. You don't need that much. You need a couple key things that people are going to remember, memorable stuff, give me some context, and then tell me some stories and some takeaways. Yeah, I, I think uh, this is a, uh, and I apologize, I was doing one of the things that I shouldn't, I was typing while talking to someone because I was looking up a quote uh, that I wanted to to bring up. And this is something that, um, you know, Mike Boyle uses a lot, but a lot of people are kind of uh, using it as well. The Albert Einstein quote, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough, uh, yeah. which is kind of like <laughs> the, the perfect way to, to put it. And hey, it's Einstein. Like, I trust that guy. He knows what's up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if he was born 50 years later, he probably would have time machines, uh, I guess. Um, <laughs> okay, so we are we are coming up um, on about an hour. Um, so let me uh, maybe the best way to to wrap this up as I'm kind of like looking over all my notes is like you know for me the big take home points were you know making sure that 
you know, the, the presence of it is really important, but where this book really helped me over the last couple of years is, you know, having to, now that I'm in, like, I have more important things to do, like being in meetings where like big deals are being made or being like when I have to make concessions on like how businesses are being run and things like that. Um, being better at negotiation and making sure that, you know, also, like I mentioned, like, all right, well, how would I view this stuff if I was a, a third party or something like that? Making sure I'm separating myself from the the equation altogether to kind of view it from the outside looking in. Um, and also as someone that, that is a manager of people now, uh, being really good at resolving conflict whenever there's conflict between, you know, employees or business partners and stuff like that, you know, making sure that, you know, you have the ability to say, okay, you, you know, like this isn't really the, the end of the world. Like, you know, I just, you know, want to let you know, you did a really great job. Like there's, this is, you know, two things that, you know, maybe I could have done better. These are things the group could have done better and, and things like that. Um, conflict resolving has been, uh, really, uh, fantastic, good keys in this book for, for that. Um, but I, I think maybe of, of all the books that we've done, and we've done like five dysfunctions for a team, smarter, faster, better, um, did uh, obstacle is the way and also um did a business book zero to one with with pete Dupuy. but i think this book as as you know a, a jumping off point might be like the most important book to to pick up as someone that just wants to make sure and it sounds really simple but people sometimes are really great people but they come across as like buttheads and they don't mean to um, this book can help you make sure that even if you are trying to be incredibly, um, you know, polite and, and nice, like sometimes whether it be body language, whether it be tone of voice, whether it be how you ha- con- converse with people, you may just really come off as, um, not the, a person people want to be around, which is a terrible thing because it's not really your fault. It's just a couple of things that you can, you know, change and things will be drastically better. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, and that's a great point. And I think one of the things that keeps us from being able to access power and presence and warmth is our insecurities. Um, like feeling as though, uh, we're insecure about our own kind of self-worth or we're insecure about our own level of knowledge, or we're insecure about our own expertise, or we're, um, we're worried about people judging us. All of that gets in the way of being able to project power, presence and warmth. So if I had like one takeaway, it would be to like, kind of to look at your own insecurities. What are the things mm-hmm. that you, when you're in a, maybe you're in a conference or you're in a big, uh, meeting or you're in a kind of a high stake situation, what are the things that are coming up for you? Is it, I'm not good enough to be here? Is it, I don't deserve to be here? Is it, I'm a fraud? I feel like an imposter. Like what are those things? Because if you can start to overcome some of those internal self doubts and those insecurities, you're going to be way more open and likely to be, to be able to project these things. For me, um, if I had to pick one of them in terms of what I feel like is the most fundamental is probably warmth. I think Mm -hmm. when you have a warmth about you, if we're talking about people wanting to be around you, to me, that's kind of the, if I had to say, this is my own opinion. Um, 
is I would say that's kind of the foundation. If you have warmth, then people are naturally going to gravitate towards your energy because they feel accepted by you. One of the things that she said at the very beginning of the book is charisma is simply making other people feel seen and heard and important. Mm -hmm. So to me, if you have that, that foundation of warmth, you can build the presence and the power on top of that. So yeah, I would say start with getting over your own insecurities because that stuff gets in the way of being able to make it about other people. And that is the absolute best way to to wrap up this episode and this discussion, just because I think, as we talked about earlier in the show, this is really like the surface of, of this book. Like there is so much more uh, depth and um, you know knowledge to be had from from picking this book up, and you're really you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't drop the ten dollars and, and go pick up a copy or be you know even a little bit more frugal uh, and get a used copy or something like that. But I think you should really go and pick this book up and, you know, make sure you're just covering all the bases because it could just be one or two things where maybe you could improve on and, you know, it can make your, your professional life and your personal life so much better. Um, and why wouldn't you want to do that? (laughs) Like, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you have to do, do, or just get the, you know, get started with the audible book. Like if you hate reading, like I know I always get the audible book first. And then if I love a book, I buy it on Kindle. And then if I really love it, I end up buying the paperback too. And that's where these episodes happen. <laughs> so, um, yep. you know, you can always get started in, in one of those places, but, um, you know, Jill, for everyone else out there, um, Again, you, you mentioned a couple of things that you have coming up, but is there anything else that you want to just keep the audience informed of? Or um, also, you know, where's the best place they can keep up to date with things that you have going on? You mentioned the email. And I must say, like, I subscribe to a bunch of newsletters, okay? And, like, I apologize, friends, but Jill just brings it. It's the, <laughs> most, it's the most content-rich, and it's it's like, it's information. It is just like an article that you get in your email box and um, it's absolutely fantastic. So I know you say you like have kind of like taken all this time to do that, but thank you so much for, for doing that because I read every single one of them when they do come in. And it's like the one thing that as soon as I got it, Google does it. I say, Hey, yo, this is a newsletter. You make sure this is in my inbox. This is important. I need to see this in the morning. So make it happen. Thank you so much. No, it's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This is uh, this is so fun. Of course, this is what I love talking about. But you know, really, if people are interested in more of this kind of stuff, um, if you do go to jillfit.com forward slash blog, um, like I said, there's about 600 blogs on there. But on the right hand <laughs> side, you don't have to read all of them. Just on the six, right-hand just side, 600. <laughs> on the right hand side is the categories, and if you click on the mindset category, it's a lot of these kind of things. So um, especially if you want to feel like seen, heard, and resonate with, um, you know, just to feel normal. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to do that and lots of stories and stuff like that. So that's probably the best way. And then of course, everything is on Facebook and yeah, my email list is probably the best way to to stay on the pulse of what's going on. Um, and yeah, I try to give away like 85 to 90% of my stuff absolutely free. So, um, that you guys can, whether you decide to engage with me or buy a program or a product, you can always get some things to do on your own. So. Awesome. And yeah, you can get to that newsletter by just, it's literally right, uh, you know, under the the top of the website. So you can subscribe to there super easily. And also, um, you know, people love social media today. I'm, I'm still not, I saw that you're, you're, you're on Snapchat. I still, I, I, I could, I tried so hard, Jill, to do it. I just couldn't do it. But um, I know you are, you're on Snapchat and you're on Instagram and you're on 
Twitter and you're on Facebook. Are those all at JillFit? Yes, except for uh, Snapchat. Someone else is Jill Fit on Snapchat. What? I guess I wasn't. I know I wasn't. Are you I'm kidding? Like, Does she not know that she's not Jill Fit? But no, I, I didn't snatch it up fast enough. So um, it's X Jill Fit X on Snapchat. And so, yeah, but everywhere else. And you guys just send me an email if you like anything you want to talk about. I'm always available. Rad. Well, uh, thank you so much, Jill. And thank you to you, the audience that has tuned in for the second season. Uh, we I mean, if hopefully you've heard me talk about this at the start of the show, but uh, doing four episode blocks for the book club, doing them in phases and letting you guys marinate these episodes and really soak them in. And next week, we're going to be coming back, or I should say next episode, not next week, uh, with Mark Fisher. We're going to be having him on to talk about the Elon Musk biography and things that uh, leaders and, and business owners and, and people in the, uh, I guess the, just the world can take from, from that book. So you can catch that, uh, next week and can catch all the shows on the Fitcast network at fitcast.network. And don't forget jillfit.com to check out everything that Jill has going on. So again, Jill, thank you so much. And, uh, definitely be talking to you down the road. Awesome. Thanks, Kev. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 